Hi, I'm Kate Knuth, and I'm running for Mayor Minneapolis. Welcome to Courage for Our City. On this podcast, we're going to be hearing from courageous leaders all around Minneapolis who are helping to make our city better. We're going to talk about how better mayoral leadership is part of what we need to move Minneapolis forward. And we're going to be talking with Minneapolis leaders every week from now until the election on November 2nd. I'm running for mayor Minneapolis because meeting this historic moment in our city requires a mayor who asks all of us to step forward with courage to build a city that works for everyone. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the episode. I am excited to be having a great conversation today about a Minneapolis Green New Deal. But before we jump into that, I want to give a few campaign updates. First, I was grateful to have earned the endorsement of Council President Lisa Bender, Council Members Schrader and Fletcher, as well as Parks Commissioner Brad Bourne. We had an early vote rally last week that was really fun. And it's hard to believe, but we are actually getting close to voting time already. Early voting starts September 17th and it runs all the way up to the election on November 2nd. All right, we're going to jump right into the conversation. So my campaign recently released a plan for a Minneapolis Green New Deal, and there's a bunch of parts to it. But one thing that is really important is that it puts environmental justice and racial justice at the center of climate action in Minneapolis. And I have two amazing guests, Shalini Gupta and Roxanne O'Brien, here to talk about how environmental justice and climate action are connected. They've been working and not just working, but leading on these issues for years and really excited to be able to talk with them today. So why don't I just go start with having you two introduce yourselves and give a little background about who you are and the work you do in our city. Roxanne, do you want to start? Sure. Thank you. My name is Roxanne. I'm a mom with three kids. I live in North Minneapolis. I've lived south side to northeast as well but mostly North Side, and thanks for inviting me. Thank you. That's great. I know having gotten to know you over the years that leading with being a mom is super important. I am a mom as well, and these climate and health issues are just so important, thinking about the health and well-being of young people in our city. All right, Shalini, do you want to quick introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Hi, thanks for having me. So I've been working on EJ issues in the city for about 15 years, a lot before that as well. But um, I live in South Minneapolis and um, two kids, been involved, was executive director of an environmental justice research organization for 10 years. And following that, starting my own consulting business and have been an active member with Roxanne of Community Members for Environmental Justice, which has been working actively on the, on the north side and all of Minneapolis really to kind of push EJ and climate agenda for many years and put it into city policy. Cool. CMEJ, we might talk about community members for environmental justice as CMEJ. If it comes up, I'm I'm guessing it might come up through the conversation. I'll start with you on this one, Shalini. Could you help us understand why climate change and climate action are so interlinked with environmental justice and what that means to you and your work? Sure. So I think climate change you know, it's, it's been focused on greenhouse gas emissions. Greenhouse gas emissions are a global climate pollutant. And so historically, it's just sort of been thought wherever you reduce it doesn't matter. So it doesn't matter where the facilities are sort of located. But with environmental justice, a key component is that place and people matter. And so a power plant, where it's located matters. It's not just as greenhouse gas emissions that contribute to global warming, but also the other things that are coming out of the stack. 
because it's all, is you're still burning a fossil fuel and a fossil fuel, yes, is emitting greenhouse gases, but it's also emitting particulate matter and other pollutants that are impacting health and particularly health of the community that is situated right around those facilities. So it's been well researched and well documented that these facilities are largely located in low income communities of color. And that's due to a legacy of policies and investments and structures that have placed them and certain populations there. You cannot look at climate policy narrowly in terms of one pollutant. You have to look at it in the broad spectrum of a place-based framework. Thank you for helping us understand that connection better. And I want to turn over to Roxanne now. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in this kind of work in our city? Yeah, for me, I've been pretty active just as a human being in general throughout life. I think after building a lot of relationships with people, you get a lot of information. And so I started to get information about my community, about things that were happening and learning that there were pollution facilities or facilities that were being called a recycling facility. So it sounds nice, and but it was... um causing a lot of harm in my neighborhood. It wanted to increase their emissions like a thousand percent, which in my community, we don't pay attention to permit review requests. You know, we're not familiar with the language of permits, but then when people shared information in a clear way of like, you know, this permit would cause a 50% increase in cancer if you're eating your garden vegetables and you live in Hawthorne neighborhood. I think for me, that was the wake up call. After seeing people think about my community as not wanting to be healthy or not eating properly, but then finding out about the food industry and lead in the air and chromium and all these different chemicals that cause cancer. And people are out here growing gardens or trying to eat organic foods and vegetables and like I think it it made me upset because we have a lot of people who are interested in bike paths and we hear a lot of greening of our city is important but then it's almost like trying to like make something pretty but it's pretty toxic so I guess for me I got into it because I heard that our communities were just being polluted and nobody was really talking about it so I started to talk about it And people started to listen. And that's where I met Shalini on a committee for the city, the Citizens Environmental Advisory Commission. And like day one, when I first met her, we were just in tuned right away. We both were connected in spirit of like trying to get a council that was mostly white to understand that we needed to prioritize areas that have been historically divested from and They've been exploited. A lot of times people say we're poor or we're impoverished, but like we've been exploited. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I really appreciate a few things about what you brought up there. It's like to me, what I'm hearing is you got into this work because you care deeply about the health and well-being of the community you're part of. And when we think about how housing and industry have been developed and the policy choices made... There are people in neighborhoods, particularly communities of color, who've been overburdened or 
have higher health impacts from the choices we have made together as a community. And I also love that you bring up meeting Shalini at a city commission meeting, because one of the things I'm so clear about when I am out working in collaboration with or partnership with folks in the city is none of this work is done by a single person or even a handful of people. It really takes building those relationships. So that's awesome to hear about how your relationship and your work together started. If I can introduce uh, Councilmember Steve Fletcher. We have the opportunity to have someone who actually really understands the environment and climate change and can lead on that from day one. And I'm so excited about the idea of having that kind of leadership. The conversation that really sold me was one where we disagreed on an issue. And I got to experience what it was like to disagree on an issue and I'd forgotten it could be like this because I've been working with our current mayor and she didn't just spew talking points at me and hope to win the argument. We actually listened to each other. I got to see how Kate thinks about how you can use leadership to move people together, how you can cut through the divisiveness, how you can cut through the negativity. And I'm so excited for that future. We could have a mayor who is more interested in solving problems than in winning headlines. We need that headline to say, Kate Knuth is our next mayor. Minneapolis picks a new leader for our city. I'm willing to work for that. Are you all willing to work for that? Thank you very much. You know, one thing I would love to hear is I know you two have been really leading for quite some time. I'd love to hear some of the successes that you have seen in the city of Minneapolis when it comes to environmental justice and climate work. Do you want to go first, Shalini? Yeah, sure. I can start this one. So we really started elevating the sort of connection between climate and EJ when there was a document developed called the Twin Cities People's Agreement on Climate Change back in early 2010s sort of elevating the story of BIPOC communities and their connection to climate change. Because there was this narrative around that, oh, if you're low income or you're a person of color, you don't care about climate change. It was actually the opposite. People were actually much more attuned to the impacts of climate change due to either the impact on their home countries or they were on the front lines already in terms of experiencing some of the impacts. So that came about and that kind of evolved into working its way into the Minneapolis climate action process. And so I was really happy when I was reading your Green New Deal, Kate, you know, it was, it's, it's strong and it elevates redesigning that in the next year because that process, while it resulted in a really great product, had excluded people of color. Given that it's almost 50% of the city's population, there was hardly any POC representation on that initial planning process. And we talked about sort of small d democracy and really getting community input into these processes. And the EJ community had to fight with you know, the support to then council member Elizabeth Glidden, who really helped push this forward, and Andrea Jenkins. And the EJ group that was formed there reviewed all the policies and through that was able to include transit in the transportation area, was able to include other co-pollutants because greenhouse gas and climate change are a big problem. If we start to reduce particulate matter in, associ- in association with it, you start to save lives from day one. And so if the goal is really for a healthy community and to protect climate justice, which is communities of color and low-income communities who are on the front lines, 
you really have to focus on fine particulate matter and the things, the toxins that are killing them today. And then an alternative benefit is that you're also impacting climate change. That's sort of the shift in orientation. Mm-hmm. And um, zero waste was added at that point by the EJ folks as well. So all these pieces, HERC was also added to the climate plan and the Green Zones Initiative. That's where it really got started. That was written in by the EJ communities as sort of a grounding framework for how the city can start to look at place-based targeting, acknowledging what Roxanne was talking about in terms of the historic exploitation and the disinvestment that's happened among neighborhoods. And so you have the South Side Green Zones and the North Side Green Zones. But the Climate Action Plan, if you remember, had... I don't know, over like 60 recommendations, right? And so the city had to narrow it down. And it was only because of the EJ community and the activism that was also happening on SEAC while we were there, that green zones became one of the city's priorities. And of course, they had a five-year plan and they put it on the fifth year because it was never a priority. And that's why I think it's really important to have candidates that actually prioritize (laughs) climate change and climate justice because otherwise it becomes... It's only if the community really fights for it. But I think there's been a lot of wins and the frameworks sort of being established that now are there to really build upon. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to ask that question because it's due to your work, your and Roxanne work, and many other folks who have been leading and insisting that environmental justice is part of our climate action. And, you know, having watched and been part of this work as well, you know, the the green zone work and the development of plans for both the north side and south side green zones, that work started years ago and is in development, but there's much more we could do to really bring it to the full possibilities in that work. So Roxanne, could you talk a little bit about what the north side and south side green zones are and what the purpose is behind that work and kind of where that work is right now? Yeah, it's really based on prioritizing areas that have been historically divested from and polluted. So it's a place-based strategy uh, and policy that grassroots communities, EJ communities are using in other places like California. They're using these place-based strategies to push the city to prioritize our communities that have been treated like a dumping spot for every sort of pollution possible. And so, yeah, this is a way that we can bring these issues to the table or at least bring them to policymakers and staff at the city that these are commitments that you guys have already said that you wanted to do. Like, the climate action plan, this is in alignment with that. It's just about prioritizing communities that are bearing the worst of it. If we're going to actually do anything, if we're going to change anything, we've got to do it differently. And I think we're stuck in a system of oppression and this is not working for the earth. It's not working for us. It's not working for people's psychological basic needs just to be able to function. So It's about thinking holistically, but starting out in the places that are hurt the most. We should have been reinvested in years ago, years ago. But I mean, now is always the time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Yeah. the best place to plant a tree is a thousand years ago, but now is also the the next best time. (laughs) Like, So get it done. Mm -hmm. 
I love that idea of we need to think holistically and we need to prioritize communities that have been underinvested in or exploited. And that's one of the things that I, you know, reading through the Green Zone plans is they're very like they have these big visions and there's practical things that we can do as a community, as a city in neighborhoods to make people's neighborhoods and lives better and healthier. That's important. It's not just big ideas. It's like, what is the work that we can do now to make progress on making our whole city and in particular neighborhoods, especially that have had more pollution and underinvestment to be healthy and safe and vibrant for especially the children, but everyone in them, of course. So we don't have a lot more time, but I want to, at the end, this is this podcast is called Courage for Our City. Because I think we're at a moment that requires us all to kind of dig deep and lean into each other and step forward with courage. So what more do we need to do? And maybe I know there's a lot more we need to do, but if you can give us some examples of things we need to do and what kind of courage you think is needed from people in Minneapolis, elected leaders, Minneapolis and, and community leaders in Minneapolis to make that happen. So what more do we need to do and what kind of courage is needed to make it happen? I think people need the political will. I mean, there's a lot of promises that have been made from the city. And and like Shalini said, but communities continue to fight just for the policies that have already been written to be enforced. You know, like these studies that are done, we've got so many studies. We've read all these studies. Now, what is our action? Like, well, just do what you said you were going to do in the first place. Like, it's not that hard. But it is because there's greed involved and there's fear. Like the city has got to stop being afraid to like do new things because we will not get changes doing the same old way. We just won't. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, CMEJ has had a lot of policy recommendations that we've made um, and demands. We're just kind of waiting on the city. Like we're also not waiting We're trying to get our strength back so that we can put more pressure on people. But, you know, we need the city to do what they said they were going to do. Yeah, I really appreciate that because it there's you all have done a lot of work to make it clear what we need to do. And we need both city and partnership with community leaders to really push on the commitments already made. Jalini, I'm going to put that same question to you. What more do we need to do and what kind of courage do we need to make it happen? Yes. So I agree. There's a lot of plans already in place. We talk about, you know, future community engagement, but I think holding the past community engagement and reading those plans and and implementing those because communities put a lot of time and effort into those. I would say also inside the city, the departments are pretty siloed. And so there needs to be more integration into it. And thinking about how the planning department is intersecting with the health department, is intersecting with housing, and what does that mean? And how do you actually move forward with like a common agenda? Because right now, it's sort of cross-purposes at many Mm -hmm. times. And another one I'll say is to actually put some teeth into things like green zones, right? Right now, they're initiatives, and there's an amazing amount of love and care that's gone into developing these plans, but the city doesn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. Their initiatives. And so I think there could be stronger ordinances or stronger language to actually think about some self-accountability for all of us. Then lastly, I'll just talk about all the federal dollars coming down. I think this is such a great opportunity for some leadership of the city to actually start investing. Um, we're just in a moment. We're in a moment. And so 
And I think it's, it's a really important once in a generation moment where there's resources available to be able to do this. There is a awakening about these issues. And so now's the time. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you talking about the moment with the federal dollars lined up, the green zones work, the environmental justice work, the, the, the foundation, not just foundation, but plans that you all and others in our city have laid. And now we, we have the opportunity, I think, in Minneapolis to really act and to act boldly and to act with real intention rooted in community needs and community engagement. And like you said, we have resources coming in from the federal government to help us level that up. And so I really appreciate the two of you taking the time to talk about your work, talk about our city, the health of our city. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for joining. And I look forward to uh, hopefully working even in closer collaboration with the two of you to make the kind of progress we need on climate change and climate change action really rooted in environmental and racial justice and the health of BIPOC communities in our community as central. Yeah. Thanks, Kate. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation today on Courage for Our City. We're still building to election day and we need your support to build our campaign. We need donations, volunteers, and of course, your number one choice vote. Beyond the election, I ask Minneapolis residents to join me. Together, we can step forward with courage to imagine and build a city that works for everyone. Thank you to Maddie Zampanti from Conceptual Podcasting for producing our show. And also shout out to Jeremy Messersmith for providing us with the theme music for our podcast. That's it for this episode. Tune in again next week.